coming up on Golf Today, a conversation with European Ryder Cup captain's pick Shane Lowry. He's at the K-Club for the Irish Open, but where is his game and his mind ahead of the big week in Rome? Is he ready? Well, the American Walker Cup team was more than ready to get the job done at the old course in St. Andrews over the weekend. We'll talk with the captain, Mike McCoy, who pressed all the right buttons to see it through. And what a year for American Allison Corpuz. She won the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble and made the U.S. Solheim Cup team. But wait, there's more. She gets to speak with us right here on Golf Today. Golf Today on a Tuesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine, the Irish Open. I covered it years ago. John Rahm got the job done. It warms the cockles of my heart. I love this event. Were you at his Port Stewart or his? Port Stewart. Port Stewart, yeah. Uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah, back at the K Club this year where the Ryder Cup was held back mm. in that rain-soaked week in 2006. I was there also for that. It's going to be at the K-Club <laughs> for three of the next four years. Yeah. The one year it's not is next year. But the Irish Open's going to Royal County Down mm. for the first time in quite a long time. And that's going to be a great showcase for what is easily the best golf course on the entire island of Ireland. And a nice harbinger for the Open being back at Port Rush the following year. Important week on the DP World Tour, this event specifically. I think for the American golf fan, you think of the Irish Open, a great national open. Does it carry the weight and importance that it should? No. Um, mm. And I, I would stay, argue that a lot of the national open conversation tends to be overstated. Anyway, okay. it's, a lot of those events have been parochial events in mm. history. It's different with a Scottish Open, particularly now when it's held the week before the Open Championship. Sure. It has a lot more weight. Or the Australian Open going back. In, through uh, the mists of time, but the Irish Open's never had that much weight attached to it, and so much of it's dependent upon where it fits on a schedule. Anyway, and as of next year, it's going to be sort of permanently in September. Right. It, it's moved around all over the summer calendar. For a while, it was the week before the Scottish Open. That diminished the field because people were then going to play three weeks in a row, three Opens. Um, but it, it's never had that level of stature, and a lot of it also depends on the venues. I mean, Adrian Moronk won last year at Mount Juliet. Right. We're back here at the K-Club this year. Those are kind of like Florida with worse weather. <laughs> it's, it's not what people associate yeah. with Irish golf, which is traditional links courses. Depends on where it's played and also who shows up to play, which brings us to our DP World Tour update because several top players are in the field this week in Ireland. Includes a European Ryder Cup team member like Rory McIlroy, who's won the event. Tyrrell Hatton is there as well. It's the Horizon Irish Open starts Thursday. 8 a.m. Eastern Time right here on Golf Channel, one of the great national opens, in my opinion, in our great game. Let's go back to 2016. K-Club. That was the year that a then 27-year-old Rory put on a show to win his first Irish Open, <coughs> flushed this three-wood on the 72nd hole from 252 yards to a couple of feet. I mean, you want to talk about a goosebumps moment. Yeah, high five. J.P. Fitzgerald's old caddy, he convert this for Eagle. Heartfelt, emotional, three-shot victory over Scotland's Russell Knox. Well, Shane Lowry has been victorious here as well, Damon, back in 2009. He was a 22-year-old amateur when he won at Baltray, also known as County Lowry's Golf Club, beat Robert Rock in a playoff on a delightful Irish summer day. <laughs> well, both Lowry and McElroy are going to be members of the European Ryder Cup team. Luke Donald announced his captain's picks on Monday. Lowry was one of them, along with Tommy Fleetwood, Sepp Straka, Justin Rose, Ludwig Aberg, and Nikolai Hoygaard. 
Speaking of Lowry, the 2019 Open champ will be making his second Ladder Cup appearance in Rome at the end of the month. He was, without a doubt, one of the emotional leaders of that European team that lost at Whistling Straits a couple of years ago. When you look at his Ryder Cup record, you know, he went one and two in Wisconsin. He lost to Patrick Cantlay in Sunday singles, but brought a lot of fire and emotion, I thought, the entire week. And the 36-year-old from County Offaly caught up with Steve Burkowski at the K-Club ahead of this week's Irish Open. Already a great start to the week for Shane on Monday, finding out he'd be part of the Ryder Cup team once again. What was your reaction when the news became official from Captain Luke Donald? Yeah, I was, uh, look, I'm obviously very excited, um, very happy that he's put his faith in me, and I think, uh, you know, like like to obviously live up to those uh, expectations in a few weeks' time. I think, you know, we've got a great team, and I'm you know, very excited for the next month. It's it's a great month of golf here in Ireland to start. You know, Wentworth next week and then preparing for the Ryder Cup and going over there. And it's, you know, Whistling Straits was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to living in living that again. What did you learn from a couple of years ago at Whistling Straits that could maybe serve you well individually and help the team out uh, as well? Yeah, look, I think you learn a lot about losing and, and, you know, especially in the manner that we did. I think we, could, we actually, that probably brought us closer um, as a unit um, and as a group. And we have a lot of players playing this year, this time that was there the last time. And, um, you know, we've, we have a few new fresh faces coming in, which is going to add to it as well. So, um, you know, you just learn a lot about each other and a lot about parents and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Luke and, and Thomas and, you know, the other vice captains will have done their, their homework and they know what to do with that. And, you know, as a, as a player, you just... Uh, you know, there are certain situations that you, you're very uncomfortable in, and they're, they're one of them. But that's what you live for, and you know, I'm I'm truly looking forward to it. I, I I can't wait for it to be honest, and it's something that I've been talking about all year, and I wake up most mornings thinking about it and thinking about it, and I, you know, it's the last thing I think about before I go to bed. So, um, you know, living for it, and and you know, very excited about it. That said, what were your nerves and emotions like these last few weeks, knowing yeah. you're you're probably going to get a call one way or the other, yeah. but not sure of the outcome. Yeah, look, I've been speaking to Luke a lot over the last while, and uh, you know, he just kept telling me to do my own thing and play my own game, and, and everything will take care of itself. So, um, look, I, I, I probably haven't played as, as well as I would have liked over the course of the season. Um, some decent golf in there, but not much great golf. And um, unfortunately, you know, you need to play great to play to do well on the PGA Tour. So, um, yeah, very you know excited to get the phone call off Luke, and you know, like I said, very grateful that he's put his faith in me to, to go and deliver for the team. How do you now try to fine-tune your form, get your uh, game in a good spot for the next couple yeah, of weeks in the Ryder Cup? I think this is a great golf course to, for that. I think we've got narrow fairways with thick rough, which is what Rome's going to be like. And um, We're obviously going for a practice run around there next week, uh, which would be nice as a team. And, and then, you know, Wentworth is a place that I love playing golf and uh, that, it, you know, it's a tournament I love. And um, I think I've got plenty of time to, to get some good golf out of me and, uh, you know, get ready for Rome. What does this tournament mean to you, considering you're at home and one is an amateur in 09? How truly high is this on your level of importance? I really want to play well. Yeah, people always call their home tournament their fifth major, but this really is. You know, it's something that I, I, I've won it before, but I would love to, you know, obviously win it as a pro and give myself a chance here for the weekend for, you know, for myself, but, but for the Irish people as well. You know, we're going to get big crowds here this week. Uh, it's an amazing venue, and um, yeah, looking forward to the week ahead. Shane, always uh, good to catch up. All Thank the you. best this week. Cheers. Thank you. Open champ from 2019, Shane Lowry. Captain's pick. He feels the time is on his side in terms of 
finding a little bit better form, likes the K-Club, likes Wentworth, of course, where he's won, and kind of finding some form, because for most of this year, he's been searching. No top tens since the Honda Classic in March. He hasn't, but he has had a bunch of top 20s in there as well, including in a couple of major championships. So he's not entirely out there as a lost soul mm. in some ways. It was interesting hearing him tell Burko there that the loss in a Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits was the best experience mm. of his life. This is a guy who's won a major, but losing a Ryder Cup meant more to him in a strange way. And that's very much... He's, Shane's out of central casting when it comes to Irish golfers. Very much also into the concept of team sports. His father was a very accomplished footballer in Ireland. So the team dynamic is very much something that Shane Lowry relates to. And he, he to me, serves a function for this team that JT is serving for the U.S. team, which mm. is this idea of being a binding agent. Mm. And you would never believe, when you look at the video of Shane from the Ryder Cup two years ago, and all of the fist pumping and enthusiasm that he brought to it, that he had a losing record right. that week. Played three matches, lost two of them. This is what, what he brings. He's the hype man, mm. in a way, and every team needs a hype man. And he's also a fairly affable character. There's an edge to Shane, a yes. competitive edge to Shane, for sure. If things aren't going well, you're going to know that yeah. Shane Lowry's not playing well. Yeah. But he is definitely a, an affable guy that well, you could put any of those rookies mm. who are on this team alongside Shane Lowry, and he is going to kind of, he's mm. going to elevate them. Also a great ball striker, 29th in strokes gained, tee to green this year, strokes gained total, I should say, on the PGA Tour, 117th in strokes gained putting, so definitely a streaky putter. You mentioned loss, and there are a couple of guys that probably feel like they've lost out on a spot. There's been some reaction, uh, you know, from the, the players who didn't get chosen mm -hmm. by Luke Donald. Yannick Paul, for example, a terrific player, had a fantastic year. I'm obviously disappointed to not make the team if you are in third place for 90% of the time. You want to end up being on the team. I just didn't finish high enough on the leaderboard the last few events to earn my spot back. Good luck to the team. Bring the trophy back. And maybe the most controversial snub in some people's mind was Adrian Morong from Poland. Good luck, Ryder Cup Europe. Pretty simple and, and to the point for a player who, as you mentioned, you know, he won on the golf course, uh, Marco Simone, in the springtime. Yeah, and won the Irish Open last year as well. It would send quite a message if he were to defend that title this week. And his was just a very simple, you know, classy message, acknowledging that he's not on the team. Yannick Paul's a little different. You know, 90% of the way of being on a Ryder Cup team is still not on a Ryder Cup sure, team. Sure, sure. And I, I honestly don't see Yannick Paul as ever really being seriously considered for a captain's pick. The guy got there on the European points list, which is a convoluted method to try to keep players loyal to the, the European DP, yeah, tour. Yeah. And he did so on the strength of a couple of finishes in India and Thailand back in February, March against weak fields, and when Yannick Paul went up against strong fields yeah. in the rest of the year, he did not perform. Yeah. And so I honestly cannot imagine that Yannick Paul was that close to being on the radar of Luke Donald. But Moronk, he was going to have to qualify. But Moronk different. Mar you know, Australian Open, yeah. you know, all in the last year. Moronk's Australian the question Open, of the one for sure. you win the Irish, you win the Italian on the golf course where the, the, the Ryder Cup is going to be contested. I think age might have hurt him a little bit. He's, he's only 30. <laughs> he's 30, but, but you're talking about a 23-year-old in Ludwig Abrig. You're talking about the 20-something yeah. in, in, in Hoygar. I, I think that Luke Donald saw an opportunity to invest in the future. And if it's 50-50, I mean, Aberg could be on the next 10 teams. And Moronk could probably make the next few 
himself as well. He's definitely the guy who had the best case uh, yes. to be on yeah. this team, who didn't get those picks. The problem is his last really strong finish was a couple of months ago, whereas Nikolai Hoygaard is the, the guy who I think more likely than Aberg. Yeah. Hoygaard is the one, I believe, who bumped Adrian Moronkov. Yeah. He's performed really, really top six in the last three events he's played in Europe to try to make that push in that case. He's also won yeah. at the host venue. Bob McIntyre, who got the last automatic qualifying spot, also has won at this venue. Yeah. So Luke Donald doesn't lack guys who know their way around Marco Simone. And it's, it's in a weird way, nobody would have thought two years ago that the European captain was going to have tough decisions to make. There was this yeah. sentiment that he's going to have find it tough to find enough guys to fill yeah. the spot. So it's in a way, it's a, a credit to Luke Donald or the system that they've created there that they do actually have a valid question about, oh, that guy should have been on the team yeah. because we once thought they couldn't have filled. Well, with no Sergio, no Westwood, no G-Mac, no Poulter, I think the, the value of Shane Lowry and his experience, even if it's only one time before, is very, very important. And who knows what the reality looks like by the time we get to the next <laughs> Ryder Cup. Well, our next guest has figured out something that Zach Johnson might want to know, which is how to captain the USA to victory on European soil. Mike McCoy, the Walker Cup skipper, is here to tell us how he did it. Coming up next. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Well, it was a winning weekend for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Or sorry, Walker Cup team at the old course in St. Andrews as UNC's David Ford hold the winning putt as the United States rallied from an early day one deficit to defeat Team GB&I for the fourth consecutive time. And that puts the all-time record even more heavily tilted in the United States' favor. 39-9-1. And 7-2 and and in Walker Cups at the old course on St. Andrews as well. And look at this for the venue years from now, Cypress Point Club, Pebble Beach, California. Mm, mm, mm. U.S. team was captained by the Ooh. Iowa native Mike McCoy, was a member of the U.S. Walker Cup team back in 2015 at the age of 52, nine months, 11 days, making him the third oldest player in event history and second oldest U.S. player. And we've had Mike on before, shown this resume and bio before. It's remarkable just the things he's done. One of the great amateurs, really, in our nation's history, 11-time Iowa Player of the Year, low amateur in the 2014 and 15 U.S. Senior Open, collegially at Wichita State, now victorious Walker Cup captain as well. And it's great to have Mike with us. So, Mike, you're down 7.5 to 4.5 Saturday night. You're around the dinner table. What was the conversation? What was the plan? Well, it was... Uh... You know, we had a pretty pretty direct uh, conversation with all the guys, and I, um, you know, I knew we had somebody not feeling too well, and um, you know, we had, um, you know, uh, Nick Dunlap, our national amateur champion, had a tough day, and I, you know, I kind of went around the room and point blank asked him if they were ready to go in the morning, and we had we had already sort of predetermined our pairings. But it just something told me we needed to mix it up and, and, and come out with something different in the morning. And um, the guys kind of demanded it. They really wanted um, they wanted the best players out on the golf course. Um, you know, I was hoping I was going to be able to play everybody three times at least. And, and it worked out that I, I was able to. <laughs> but uh, 
but I left the room and, uh, you know, I wasn't exactly sure who I was going to sit out. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we had to turn our, uh, our roster in pretty quickly. So, you know, I just, I had a hunch and I, you know, I mixed it up a little bit and, and I guess it was a pretty good decision because I think the morning, the morning play really saved the day and got us back into the match and, and uh, gave us a good opportunity <clears throat> afternoon. I'm curious about your thought process in making those pairings, Mike, because unlike a Ryder Cup captain, a Walker Cup captain really doesn't have the luxury of past partnerships that have worked well or have a successful record because you don't really have that many repeat players in a Walker Cup. So what was your thought process in arriving at those pairings that went out on Sunday morning to try to turn the tide back? Well, uh, you know, I, Caleb Surratt and Ben James had, had played well the day before. They did get defeated by a hot GB&I team, but I believe that those guys were playing great, and so I wanted to send them back out. Um, I was a little reluctant to break up Gordon Sargent and Dylan Minetti uh, because they had won. They were the one, you know, who only won the only match we had in the morning uh, on Saturday. But I just, I felt like we needed, we needed to come out, and I put Dunlap and, and Gordon Sargent together, the top two amateurs in the world, and I, I figured, you know, if they can't get us a point, we're in real trouble. So um, it was, you know, Preston Summerhays and Nick Grabelsic were playing beautifully, and I, I thought that the two Carolina players, um, uh, Manetti and, and Austin Greaser, could, could get the job done. They're real gritty, uh, scrappy players. So... Um, it, it really went into friendship. Some of them had played on past Palmer Cup teams. Some of it was just a hunch. And Caleb Surratt's going to join us in just a little bit. Mike, I was struck by how well the team seemed to hit the right shot at the right moment, getting up and down, hitting at the right weight. How much did advanced scouting, recognizance, conversations with 2015 Open champ Zach Johnson, fellow Iowan, kind of play into giving this team as much advanced knowledge as possible? Well, it, it was helpful. I spent a lot of time out watching these guys over the last couple of years, so I knew, I knew their skills and you know, I had David Ford in that last spot. I'd watched two years. You know, what a competitor. And, and David was really under the weather. And, and that was one of the reasons we set David in the, in the morning on uh, Sunday. Um, we let him get as much rest as we could. But I knew, I knew if it came down to that final match, David, David could deliver. And I put Greaser, his teammate, in the ninth spot. And, you know, he's just a real, a real competitor. So I kind of hung with those guys most of the day. Uh, well, you know, the rest of the team would play. It, uh, you know, it was just one of those magical days, you know. We, just, uh, we believed we could do it, and, uh, you know, we, we played some great golf. Damon mentioned Zach Johnson, your fellow Iowan. Is there a secret sauce you can pass along to him, Mike, on, on how you can captain the United States to victory on foreign soil? Because I'm sure he'd listen. <laughs> well, he did send us a nice uh, note of congratulations. He made a video, and you know, Zach Zach spent some time with me with some, you know, gave me some of his thoughts on on how to approach the golf course. He he's had some success there, so uh, that was nice of him. Um, you know, Zach's got, you know, the greatest players in the world, and, and uh, I think he's going to do just fine. But, uh, you know, we, um, it takes a certain chemistry. You want to do everything you can to get rid of all the little uh, 
annoyances for the guys so they can focus on their game and um, and not be distracted. And, you know, we were able to do that for our guys. And um, hopefully it's going to be a week they'll always remember. Mike, this was very competitive and very close. But if you look at the overall record in this matchup, it's 39-9-1 in the U.S. side. Some might say, let's have a, a, you know, a Walker Cup follow the Ryder Cup, Continental Europe in 1979. Does, does GB&I need Europe, or, or is that an oversimplification? Yeah, I think that's an oversimplification. I think they're, they're uh, you know, they're very competitive. I mean, you know, if you look at the last couple of matches, you know, we were fortunate <laughs> to get there with ends. They certainly, they beat us handily in 15. So, uh, the Walker Cup isn't broke. I, I certainly don't think there needs to be any changes to it. It's, we just had maybe one of the greatest Walker Cups of all time, you know, at the old course and the 100th anniversary. And, you know, it just doesn't get any better in amateur golf than what we just experienced. These kids, Mike, are all accustomed to having a college coach uh, who has his own way of, of doing things, of, of running the team, of managing the talent. You're coming in as a captain and you're trying to create that kind of a system of trust in one week. How difficult is it to actually do that? Well, you know, I, I have gotten to know these, these fellas over the last year and a half. And I had Stuart Hagestad in the room. Stuart had played on the last three Walker Cup teams. So he was, he was kind of a leader, a, a, you know, a vice captain almost inside the room. And uh, the guys, he had their respect. And, you know, he, I think, it was helpful in putting them at ease and kind of preparing them for um, for what lied ahead. And and so, you know, I was fortunate. I had Stuart. I had some quiet leaders. David Ford was, you know, in his own way, a, a real leader in the room and and did some things behind the scenes that I think were helpful to the players. Um, but uh, look, they didn't need a lot of coaching. Um, you know, I just had to get the pairings right, and they could all play. You know, Mike, we've seen in team competitions for a long time, sometimes the best player in the world struggles in the team format. Tiger didn't have a great Ryder Cup record. Rory McIlroy's batting 500. How important was it that Garden Sargent, the number one in the Wagger, went 4-0-0 for this team and was a true tone setter? Yeah, yeah, Gordon was just fabulous. He, um, you know, we counted on Gordon. We had him out there all four matches. Um, you know, Gordon's, Gordon's pretty cool and calm. Uh, uh, you don't see a lot of emotion out of Gordon. And, you know, he just has that quiet confidence. Uh, he was in some tight matches. But I, you know, I had a lot of confidence, you know, when he came up that 18th hole. I mean, he knocked it on the green both days. And, um, you know, the last, last uh, hole, he hit a three-wood right in the middle of the green. So, I mean, he's, he's got horsepower like you've never seen. And, uh and he was really the putter. The really the putter got warmed up for him the last couple of days. So uh, I had a lot of confidence in him, and we needed him, and he and he delivered. Took a little, took a little off that three wood. Didn't even need to open it up <laughs> all the way. Mike, it was so fun to watch. Congratulations, and great speaking with you again. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, there he is, victorious Walker Cup captain Mike McCoy. Still to come on golf today. It's a team event Tuesday. On the other side of the break, we're going to shift our focus to the upcoming Solheim Cup in Spain. U.S. Women's Open champ and U.S. Solheim Cup team member Allison Corpuz joins us next. Back 
on golf today. Time now for Road to Solheim Cup presented by Ping. Just a few weeks away from the 2023 Solheim Cup at Finca Cortesim Golf Club in Spain, Europeans will be trying to make it three wins in a row. Let's take a look at the U.S. squad. We've seen it up in Spain. Captain Stacy Lewis completed her squad last Monday. Making her captain's picks was great speaking with her. Well, Alison Corpuz made her way onto that team, Damon, thanks to her victory. The 2023 U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach back in July. It was her first career LPGA Tour victory, and it made Corpu the first American player to win the U.S. Women's Open since Brittany Lang back in 2016. And it's been a pretty solid season outside of that victory with three other top five finishes, including the second at the Dana Open. She's currently sixth in the race to the CME Globe and eighth in the Rolex rankings, 40 spots up from where she was in 2022 at the end of her rookie season. And Alison Corpus joins us now from the Kroger Queen City event out in Cincinnati. Alison, how has life changed since that victory in the U.S. Women's Open? Because it was a pretty iconic moment on the most iconic course in the game where you claimed a national title. It's got to have changed a lot for you since. Yeah, I mean, definitely been a little busier since then. Um, really grateful for all of the opportunities that have come my way and really just been trying to keep my life the same. But I mean, obviously a lot more attention and a lot more um, just opportunities. And yeah, really looking forward to what's ahead. And what's ahead is the Solheim Cup. You've played Curtis Cup, Palmer Cup, USC. What are the keys to, to a good team? What are those characteristics that make a good team? Yeah, I think team chemistry is always really important, which I think our team will have a lot of. I mean, we all grew up playing junior golf together. And yeah, I mean, our team is going to be so solid this year. I'm really excited for the Solheim Cup. Alison, you played the Curtis Cup in 21. You went undefeated, including a couple of four-ball match victories with Rose Zhang. We had Rose on the show last week and asked her, does she expect to be playing with you when it comes to the Solheim Cup? She seemed fairly confident that you guys are going to take that Curtis Cup partnership to Spain. Are you expecting the same? Yeah, I'd love to play with her. I honestly don't know who Stacy has in mind with us to play with, but would love to play with her again, definitely. But I mean, everyone on the team is so solid. I think everyone would pair well together. Well, you're a major champ. You're also aware of global events. You've pledged to support the recovery efforts on Maui. You're from Hawaii. Why was that important for you to do? Yeah, being from Hawaii is definitely a point of pride for me. And I mean, growing up, even though I didn't grow up on Maui, definitely played a bunch of junior golf over on Maui. And it's just been devastating to see, you know, the tragedies that's that's been happening. Um, and it just means a lot for me to be able to give back and be in that position. As you're moving onward then to, to Spain, Alison, how much is it on your mind as a rookie that Europe has won the last two Solheim Cups and this idea of reversing the trend? Do you pay any attention to that at all or is this you know, I'm a rookie, it's blank slate, I'm going to do what I can do? Uh, maybe a bit of both. I think, you know, we're we're both coming into the event with strong teams, and I don't really believe that momentum from two years ago or anything will carry forward. Um, just, you know, respecting the Europe team and hoping that we, we come away with a win. The differences between preparing for a stroke play event versus a match play event will you practice differently eat differently think differently what will you do i think it's just the best to go into every event pretty similarly and you know try to play your best golf no matter what so 
possibly a bit more team practice and the foursomes practice, but I don't think much will change. Allison, it's great catching up with you. Best of luck in Cincinnati and best of luck in España as well. Thank you. All right, folks, sticking with the LPGA, the tour heads to Kenwood Country Club in Cincinnati this week for the Kroger Queen City Championship. It's the final LPGA event before the Solheim Cup as the top players on tour make their final preparations for the annual team competition later this month in Spain. Take a look at some notables in the field. Allison Corpus just spoke to her. Allie Ewing, the defending champ. Rose Zhang, Brooke Henderson, Lynn Grant, Ronan Yin, Angel Yin, and Cheyenne Knight. So lots of Solheim Cup quality in the field as well. Well, it's been a day since Luke Donald announced his captain's picks for the Ryder Cups. So you know what that means, Damon? Uh. It's time for some speculation, second guessing, prognostications. <laughs> We're going to go deep with Todd Lewis right after this break. We're going to bring in our friend Todd Lewis. Todd, when you look at Luke Donald's lineup here that was finalized just yesterday, what do you see? Do you see a team that can hold its own with the American side, or do you buy into <laughs> this narrative that existed for the last couple of years that it was going to be a fairly shallow team that Europe was going to be able to field? Okay, uh, let me double check. The last time the United States won on foreign soil was 93. So let's start with that. Yeah, so we'll go there. Uh, and, and look, man, when you've got maybe the best player on the planet right now in Victor Hovland, John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, uh, and you've got experience in Justin Rose and Shane Lowry coming back, you know, I, I think this is a good team. I, you know, Shane Lowry is an interesting um, component of this team. I know he was just on our show. Doesn't have a lot of confidence right now. Doesn't quite have the form that he wants. But... He brings so much emotion. He brings humor to that team room. And I go back to when Greg Norman picked Adam Scott as a captain's pick at the President's Cup years ago. Scott was in a valley himself, and that pick gave him so much belief that he ultimately vaulted his way to being number one in the world. I was a little surprised, a tiny bit surprised, that Moronk wasn't on that team, considering he's third in the Race to Dubai standings, he's a good ball striker. Tita Green, he's 29th in driving accuracy. He's third on the DP World Tour in greens and regulation. Uh, and that golf course is going to be set up to, you know, your accuracy is going to be a big key. Boy guard, I mean, he's pretty good uh, as far as greens and regulation as well on the DP World Tour, but he's 108th in driving accuracy. However, I think Luke Donald looked at potential, the upside, and the Hoyguard is 22 years of age. He's probably going to be on more Ryder Cup teams down the road. Moronk is just a bit older at 30. And I, I think maybe that was the difference, having Hoyguard and Aberg on that team to get them get their feet wet in, in regards to Ryder Cup play. What about Sepp Straka, the Austrian with the Georgia Bulldog accent? It was so strange hearing him talk to Luke Donald and Nick Doherty uh, yesterday when he was chosen to just hear, hearing the sound of his voice. What does he bring to the table? Well, he's, I mean, he's from Vienna, Austria, but he's also a southerner here in the United <laughs> States. I, I think if you go back to earlier this year, he really made a commitment and sent a message to Luke Donald when he flew from Maui, the Century Tournament of Champions, to Abu Dhabi the following week to play in the Hero Cup, which is a DP World Tour match play event, showed him that he wanted to be on Luke Donald's team. I talked to him this morning. I asked him how he has grown. He said, I've really matured as a ball striker on the PGA Tour this year. Um, you look at what he did, winning the John Deere, made it to the Tour Championship, played well there. So he felt like he did everything he needed to do. 
and it just came down to that call Sunday. And when he saw Luke Donald's name pop up on his cell phone, he, he said, he told me this morning that, you know, obviously his heartbeat went up a bit because he didn't know if he was going to make the team or not, if this was going to be a positive call or a negative call. He got that uh, positive um, call from Luke Donald. He's on the team. Yeah, and you're right. He's interesting. He and his family moved from Vienna, Austria to Valdosta, Georgia, when he was just 14 years of age. He went to the University of Georgia. He married a college student from Auburn <laughs> University who went to Auburn, lives in Birmingham, Alabama. And I asked him, I said, is it going to be interesting or difficult for you to manage your, your devotion to Austria, considering you spent most of your life in the United States. He said, no, I, I, I love my heritage. I played for the uh, Austrian team in the Olympics. I, I'll be right there. And he said he'd love to play with anybody, but Victor Hovland's not a bad guy to be paired up with right now. It's a long way from Vienna to Valdosta. On the, this idea of pairings, Todd, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how the European team has so little experience playing with each other. There aren't a lot of guys who've had successful pairings in the past at all. Do you have any sense of who you expect to see paired up together in the Ryder Cup for Luke Donald? Yeah, I think there's going to be, for Luke Donald, I, I, I think that Rory McIlroy, I feel like he could go with anyone. Uh, I think Victor Hovland can go with anyone. I feel like John Rahm can go with anyone. I think the biggest thing for them is to make sure that they get the strong putters with the great ball strikers, and that's something that they're going to learn. Um, an interesting <laughs> note, next week, Monday and Tuesday, the European Ryder Cup team, including Sepp Straka, uh, they'll be at Marco Simone to scout the golf course. So they're going to see the golf course Monday and Tuesday of next week heading into the BMW Championship on the DP World Tour. What about U.S. pods? I mean, let's you know, throw it back to <clears throat> 08 and Paul Azinger. Are there some natural pods that we're going to see for Zach Johnson? Well, actually, after the Europeans see Marco Simone, uh, actually, before they see Marco Simone, the U USA team this week, the 7th through the 10th, is going to be in Rome checking out the golf course. This is an educated guess, all right? Uh, the pods that I see and the people that I've talked to uh, in regards to what we're going to look at here, first off, obviously, Scheffler and Sam Burns are going to be a uh, pairing together. Brian Harmon. Brooks Kepka, could we see those two playing together? Harmon, I know he's a rookie in the Ryder Cup, but he's a veteran out of the PGA Tour. He's got accuracy, a great putter. Brooks can freewheel it. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're a rookie, wouldn't you like to look across the tee and see your partner is Brooks Kepka? Cantley and Shoffley, maybe the best duo on this team. Homa and Morikawa. This is an all-California pod, that group, too, by the way. Uh, Morikawa, not a great putter right now, but Homa, a top 10 putter as far as strokes gained on the PGA Tour. So that's a good matchup. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, you know, they, they were so good in Charlotte at the President's Cup. And Ricky Fowler and Wyndham Clark, these two Oklahoma State Cowboys, although uh, Clark finished at Oregon, they both use the same putter. They've got a relationship together. So this, this could be the pods that we see in Rome develop, and, and they will really start to develop this week as they play these practice rounds. Yeah, Teeley doesn't throw anything out just to, to throw it out. That, that's some, some research behind that. How about Justin Thomas? You mentioned him. You know, we saw on social media uh, pictures of him working on his game, but with, like, <laughs> a pool noodle, for example, and, and the bucket hat. I mean, this is like Kevin Costner uh, back in the day in Tin Cup. Where is JT during this grind? Well, first off, he's heard the noise um, that some say he shouldn't be on that team. He didn't qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs, and that has motivated him as you might imagine, uh, JT is a very fiery individual. He'll take something uh, and make it bullet, bulletin board material in his mind. So he's really working hard. 
Yeah, he has struggled a bit this year. He is still working with his father, Mike, as his swing coach, but not as much right now. He's kind of put his father a little bit in the background a little bit. They've worked it out together. JT wants to own his swing. Uh, Mike wasn't with him at the Wyndham Championship this year when he tried to make the playoffs. Uh, so he's kind of digging it out in the dirt, figuring it out himself, but still consulting with his father, who, by the way, they still have a wonderful relationship. But that's that's where he is with his swing right now. In regards to his putting, he has struggled with his putting, and the same is true with his putting. He has parted ways uh, with John Graham, who has been his putting coach for a while, has worked with him on aim point. Um, I don't know if this is a permanent thing or if this just may be a temporary pause right now, but he is trying to figure out his putting by himself. So he is, you know, he knows the swing better than anybody. So he's just trying to dig it out of the dirt, find his confidence heading into the Fortnite championship and then to Rome. And then he'll see where he is and then evaluate how he wants to attack his swing and how he wants to attack his putting style after that. But I can tell you, he's really motivated right now. He would be, you know, the whale for some of the teachers who are out there probably in the ranges on the, on the PGA Tour every <laughs> sure. week. Do you sense that he's moving in a direction of a different teacher, a different teaching theory in any way, or for his putting for that matter, Todd, where he might gravitate towards a particular teacher that he has an existing relationship with? You know, that, that's a good question. I think I, I, I get the sense, and this is just me observing and talking to people a little bit in his camp. I think his putting is an issue that he really wants to resolve. If you remember back in May, he, he took aim point up. Uh, he had never done that in his career. That was something that was, you know, he's, that's the thing that I think is really bugging him. I mean, not to say that his swing is perfect either, but I really do think he wants to fix his putting right now. And if he gets that straight, other things may, may fall into place in a positive way. Uh, but I have not heard uh, him uh, any rumors or any actual facts that he is that he is trying to work with someone else, be it on the greens or on the driving range. JT's expectations as high <laughs> as anybody in this game. T. Lou, we appreciate it. Thank you, pal. You got it, guys. Have a great day. And you. How about Justin Thomas seeing him out there grinding, working, and also making some changes to his team? This, to me, has an echo of Rory McIlroy before the Ryder Cup back in 2021. Uh, he'd started working in March of that year with Pete Cowan. He was completely lost with his swing by the time he mm. got to that Ryder Cup, parted ways with Pete Cowan right around that time and eventually went back to Michael Bannon, his coach since childhood. And it's, it's a bad time to be searching as far as the Ryder Cup goes. It's a good time to be searching as far as the PGA Tour goes since Justin Thomas now has, he's going to play some of these fall events, obviously. Todd just mentioned he'll play the Fortinet out in Napa. But he has until January when the calendar year season starts on the PGA Tour, January of 2024. So he's got four or five months to try to bed something and to try to make some progress, make some work changes that are going to deliver for him because by his standards, it's been a really lost year. It's been a lost year and a half mm. since that victory at Southern Hills in the PGA Championship last year. And it's got to be complicated when your dad is your coach and, and you're an adult. It's complicated when your dad is your, your coach and you're a child. Um, but to hear him say he wants to take more ownership of his swing, I think that's important. But it just seems tricky. It just seems hard. I mean, when things are, are good and he's winning, it's got to be wonderful. But, but it just seems, it it seems be, tricky. Could you argue that it's a little easier if, if, as the father, you've already kind of stepped back to let him make his own way in life, that you could make the same theory that when it comes to a golf swing, okay, well, you've got to allow people to learn, find their own way, make yeah. their own mistakes if yeah. that's what it comes to. And, you know, Mike Thomas has never struck me as a particularly 
overbearing guy. Often he's sort of wandering around the golf course. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would have his kind of thumb on the scale in this yeah. process at all. And at the, the results aren't delivering yeah. right now. That's not on Mike Thomas. That's on Justin who's yeah. hitting the shots. But, but you know, just the, the, the idea of having a, a fresh voice yeah. in the room is not necessarily a bad thing. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the son of a marriage family child counselor. I'm thinking about the family dynamic. You know, you don't want to disappoint your dad. You don't want to make him mad. It's just complicated is what I'm saying. And, and no one knows other than the folks in that house. But they, they're, you know, really prevalent. They've been at almost every big-time event that he's played. I just think it, it's, it's got to be hard to coach your son. It's got to be hard to play for your parents. It's just, it's just tough. I don't think Mike Thomas is going to be rocking up to the Thanksgiving table and saying, here, have you seen your strokes game? <laughs> I don't year? think I, I think don't think right. that dynamic's necessarily going to be effective. Well, obviously, it's a tricky yeah. situation, but the relationship's clearly established yes. enough and mature enough that expanding the size of mm. the room when things aren't necessarily yeah. going that well is, I think, a good move here. I also don't think Justin Thomas is going to be struggling for that much longer. Well, the week before the Ryder Cup, it's dominated by the Solheim Cup. It's being contested in Spain this year. Gemma Dryborough is one of the European captains, Suzanne Pedersen's picks. She's going to join us next. We'll be right back. And Gemma Dryborough joins us now from Cincinnati. Gemma, congratulations on the captain's pick. What was your reaction when you got the call from Suzanne? Were you surprised or did you expect to get that? Well, she kind of had a sneaky word with me a few weeks prior, um, which was nice of her to kind of give me that uh, reassurance that I, I might get a captain's pick. So, um, yeah, that was a nice thing for her to do. And uh, obviously when it actually happened, it was uh, just an amazing feeling. You know, everyone uh, knew then and then I could uh, start celebrating with my family and friends and people on tour as well. Gemma, many, many years ago, NFL New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick before Super Bowl went around the room, 53-man roster, and told every single player why he was on that team. Why do you think Suzanne Pedersen picked you for this team? Well, I think uh, Suzanne, during when that, that picks, uh, when it was, she was doing the live picks, she uh, kind of mentioned how I'm kind of an even keel player, kind of keep my keep my head on the ground and, um, you know, very steady and, uh, you know, will keep hopefully uh, be a good in the team room for all the girls. And, um, you know, I've loved team sports growing up as well. So to be on a team again will be very special. And I think I'll be hopefully good, good banter for the rest of the girls as well. And hopefully can keep an even even head all week. And uh, but yeah, just very much looking forward to it. Where did playing Solheim Cup rank in your ambitions? Obviously, you've done the Curtis Cup. You say you like team competitions. Was this always a goal? Yes, absolutely. It's been a goal of mine since I can remember. I remember watching it from a young age. Um, I went, actually went to Glen Eagles as a spectator and saw Suzanne make that epic part at the end. So, um, yeah, it just gives me goosebumps thinking of being part of the team. And it's been a goal of mine, you know, among with, you know, winning majors. It's, you know, been a, a huge goal of mine, um, you know, ever since I turned pro. So it's very special to be part of the team. How difficult is it, though, to make that adjustment? Because the rest of your professional existence is pretty much a lone wolf in, in professional golf. Is it difficult to make that adjustment to team competition from what is the norm? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I said, uh, I think the Curtis Cup was probably the last time I was in in a team environment. Um, you know, amateur stuff we kind of played, in, you know, for the Scottish team and uh, played a lot more team stuff then, <laughs> but haven't really done that since then. So um, it'll be a nice adjustment, I think. Um, you know, Caddy's involved as well. 
Um, but yeah, it'll be nice to have a team room. And I've heard that's a very different dynamic to normal weeks. So just, you know, really looking forward to that and uh, getting to know the girls more as well. I think you kind of uh, learn how, how the girls are a bit more, you know, you, you know them week in, week out, but, you know, in a team environment, you really get to know them um, really well. So I'm looking forward to that too. Gemma, Suzanne said this is the best European team on paper ever. What do you see? Yeah, I would agree. Um, and it's nice to be part of that team, obviously, as well, myself. Um, you know, we've got you know, Celine won a couple of times back-to-back -back in the summer. Lynn Grant as well. She's won recently and doing really well. And all the other girls are, you know, fant doing fantastic this year. So it's nice to have that behind us and uh, we're just going in with a lot of confidence. Are you familiar with the, the host venue, Finca Cortes? Or do you know what kind of test you should expect that week? I have played a lot of golf in that area before. I haven't actually been to that course myself, but I've heard from the girls that it's quite hilly. Um, so it'll be a good test. I think it'll be a few, uh, some good match play holes as well. Um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to it and hopefully it'll be, uh, you know, nice sunny Spain. Looking forward to that. Always, always nice playing there. So, um, but yeah, I've got good memories from playing LET there. So it'd be nice to go back. Gemma, some American golf fans feel that American players are playing catch up when it comes to match play. What is your earliest memory of match play competition? Gosh, yeah, we, we played match play growing up from a very young age, you know, just at the, at the club, we used to play this winter foursomes match. Um, I give my, my partner a shout out, Joe Boardman. He was my partner, it was, you know, handicap match, but, you know, we played match play from a very young age. And, um, you know, then we played for um, the club and then uh, country as well for Scotland and obviously the Curtis Cup as well. So, um, you know, we don't get to play much match play anymore. You know, we have the match play in Vegas, which I really enjoy. So, um, but yeah, it's one of my favorite formats. So we know Suzanne was thinking of you weeks in advance of making these picks, Gemma. Do, do you know, does she have you in mind for a certain partnership? Is there someone on that team that you expect you're going to be playing alongside? I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I, I would happily play with anyone. Um, you know, I'm very easygoing, so I feel like I could play with anyone on the team, which um, hopefully will be an asset for Suzanne. And, um, you know, I, I'll play foursomes or four ball. I'm happy to play either uh, in the Curtis Cup. I know I played uh, quite a few foursomes matches there and really enjoyed that format. So, yeah, I'm, I'm easy either way. Well, Gemma, best of luck in Spain and best of luck in Cincinnati as well. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Great to have Gemma Dreiber with us. How about a look at the recent results in case you need a reminder. Europe has done quite well of late, winning four of the last six, including two in a row. But the U.S. still has the overall advantage, 10-7 in the Solheim Cup. But the Ryder Cup team is full of a lot of young phenoms with a lot of promise. There were a lot of those on the Ryder, on the Walker Cup team this past weekend in St. Andrews as well, and not many of them had a better record than this guy, Caleb Surratt. Tennessee sophomore has recovered from eating the haggis. He'll be here next. It was a stacked U.S. Walker Cup team that triumphed last weekend in St. Andrews. Eight of the top ten ranked amateurs in the world. This guy still managed to stand out though, Caleb Surratt. Tennessee sophomore kickstarted the American comeback and he's joining us to relive the glory. Coming up in just a little bit right here on Golf Channel, you can catch live coverage of the Folds of Honor Collegiate beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch College Central coming up 
at the bottom of the hour. That's 3.30 Eastern time. This is Golf Today. Damon and Eamon with you. I'll tell you what, the Walker Cup was on this weekend. Sunday, windy, but man, did it look good. Beautiful. Anyone who doesn't want to watch the best players in the world on the best golf course in the world, which literally goes back to the very original DNA of this game, is out of their mind. And you could argue, if you want to be cynical, that the Walker Cup might be the, the last unsullied precinct in this game as well, that the, the commercialism isn't there, the grifting mm. influencers aren't there. It's just pure golf in its purest form, and that's what we saw at the weekend. Oh, we saw Gordon Sargent hitting, you know, beautiful drives, Caleb Surratt getting up and down, Ben James with that flowing putting stroke. I mean, these are the future stars of the game. We got to see them, you know, in, in beautiful technicolor over the weekend. And as Ludwig Eberg has just pointed out, there's a very small gap between the guys who are on that team before the guys mm. who are reaching to the heights of the professional game as well. No question about it. The home of golf was the venue for the Walk Cup. In case you didn't get to watch it, it was a fantastic host site over the weekend. Team Great Britain and Ireland, you know, they had the lead going into that final couple of sessions at the old course with the U.S. rallied, winning six of ten matches to claim the cup for the fourth straight time. We've got some highlights of the aforementioned Caleb Surratt, par five fifth. This is one of my favorite shots, this third from the rough. Working the contours, rolls right over the edge of the hole. Tell you what, short game, short game, short game, <coughs> able to defeat Barclay Brown on Saturday and then Sunday par 4 16th his second shot and he spent a lot of time dancing over the hole in this Walker Cup yeah. and he got that birdie and sealed the victory defeated Callum Scott three and two absolutely brilliant brilliant performance and this was a pretty great record for a 19 year old in the Walker Cup three one and oh defeated Barclay Brown to open up four and three on the first day Defeated John Goff and Matt McLean also in foursomes and with lo one loss to Callum Scott and Graham, three and two, but otherwise a winning record. Yeah, Caleb's accomplished a lot already. He's from Indian Trail outside of Charlotte in North Carolina, eighth in the World Amateur Golf Ranking. You mentioned sophomore year at Tennessee, first volunteer to earn first team All-American honors, won the 2023 SEC individual title, member of the victorious U.S. 2023 Palmer Cup team and a runner-up at the 2022 U.S. Junior. And I believe we've got Caleb joining us now. It's great to spend some time with you. You're sent out first Sunday singles by Mike McCoy, the captain. What did that role mean to you? Man, it, it meant everything. And um, and thank you guys for having me. It was um, to go out there and, and do that and to know the captain had that trust behind me going out in the afternoon and just, you know, such a vital, you know, quite frankly, first five matches where we win it or we could lose it. Um, and to be playing with that chip on my shoulder and having that on my back gave me all the confidence in the world. And, you know, obviously I was fortunate enough to go get it done early, but man, those, those four or five guys behind me sure were impressive. Caleb, the only match you lost last week was the very first match that you played, which would suggest you became much more comfortable as the, the play wore on. What were the nerves like? on that first tee shot? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really fortunate, to be honest, that I wasn't even the one hitting the first tee shot that um, that Saturday. It was my partner, Ben James. I got to hit the wedge, and I was just praying that he would put me on the downgrain part of the fairway because it's really hard to hit it bad downgrain in that fairway. But, um, you know, into the grain, it would have been a 
man, me and, me and Ben played some amazing golf that day. And, um, you know, even, even coming off of that loss was some of the most confident I had been all week because how great we played. And, you know, I'm, I'm tipping my hat to Colin Scott and Connor Graham, two amazing players. And you better, uh, watch their names. They're going to be really good. Today. Good advice. Will do. Caleb, speaking of the wedges, I thought your wedge game on Sunday in particular, spectacular. Uh, take us through your short game process, especially under the gun, because I thought it was quite impressive the way you got up and down, especially on the front nine. Yeah, I think, like, you know, it's all just kind of a byproduct of the work that we all put in every day. And I'm not even going to highlight myself, but the work that I put in, because it's just, you know, me and these nine other guys, we work tirelessly every day. And especially with my guys here at the University of Tennessee. So we, we make practice really hard, so play is really easy. And, uh, you know, when I got out there, those, not many of those shots were shots that I haven't had before. And uh, you know, I was really, really, really fortunate to feel uh, comfortable over them. Caleb, not everyone digs the old course. It's not to everyone's taste. Were you a fan of it? I mean, it was such an honor, to, first off, to be playing at the home of golf. Um, I, I was a fan. I've always loved playing golf in the and you know, but what I, I wasn't quite prepared because that win is a little different than the United States win. Um, so uh, it was pretty awesome to get out there and uh, play that golf course. And I'm I'm the biggest world. What was the mood Saturday night? You're trailing by three. I don't imagine a lot of finger pointing going on, but were there long faces? What was the mood? Yeah, it was. Um, it was tough coming in. You know, we walked in and GB and I team had the speakers playing in their room and, you know, they were having a good time. And, um, you know, that, that wasn't the, the vibe in our room. So, you know, I kind of sat around the table and we were all really honest with each other. We had a couple players that really weren't feeling too well. So we really were, we we're fortunate for some of them to have to step up. And, um, you know, we ended up changing our lineup Sunday morning and, um, you know, props to David Ford, a guy who really still stood up and kind of admitted to not feeling the best. And, you know, he came out and was really strong that afternoon. So we put up with a good game plan, and there was no time to waste being sad. We knew that challenge passed the next day. You've already won an impressive roster of events, Caleb. Where does playing this team event in Walker Cup rank for you so far? It is by far at the top. And, you know, unless it's a crazy u.s u.s victory on the Ryder cup one day i'm not sure it'll ever be topped um to have been given that opportunity to go out and compete with that with those you know to be able to go wear the red white and blue is a memory that i'll never forget and you know that was a there was a different type of energy than i've ever experienced and uh you know it's it's really cool playing for something way bigger than yourself so uh, i was really fortunate for that Caleb, when I met you last year, you struck me as a feisty competitor. Most of those guys in your team room, you want to beat most of the weeks when you bump into them. What was that transition like from individual to teammate? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all really fortunate to have been growing up together, playing golf. It wasn't like this was the first time we had ever seen each other's faces. So <laughs> I think every single person in that group has been in a final group with one or one well, so, you know, I think everybody knows everybody's game really well. And, um, you know, I got I got no, I no doubt that there's going to be some major championships out of that crew right there. And those guys are those guys are awesome. Well, that will be the next chapter of your career, Caleb. Sh short term, the next Walker Cup is at Cypress Point. Two years from now, is your goal to be on that team or do you see your career path taking a different direction before that point? Yeah, I think like. 
you know, that this week, it once again, it, it's a memory that you have worked 19 years for for me. And, you know, some of these are much longer than that. So be able to possibly have that opportunity again is something that's going to be really hard to pass up. And, um, you know, to answer the question, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put my head down and work my hardest every day and um, just see where the Lord leads me and, and see, see, we'll see what my weight life is going to be. But, um, you know, I'm really grateful for my time here at Tennessee right now. And um, I have no, no aspirations of leaving anytime soon. I, I love my guys and I want to be along their side the whole way. Well, Caleb, I can tell you, it is sure fun to watch you play golf. And I understand like most teenagers, you've lost your, your charger. So we'll let you go. So your phone doesn't die. Uh, thanks for the time, buddy. And congratulations. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes, sir. Caleb Surratt, victorious U.S. Walker Cup team. I tell you what, I met him last year with Ben James, and it was so neat to hear each of them compliment the other and the talent they have. Caleb raving about Ben James's putter and Ben raving about Caleb Surratt's ball striking yeah. and his ability to get up and down. And to see that all kind of play out the way it did over the weekend was a lot of fun. Isn't it interesting how this team dynamic or this attitude towards team golf it extends through every generation. Mm. We've heard it from Walker Cup players like Caleb. We've heard it from Tommy Fleetwood yesterday mm. on the Ryder Cup. We heard from Gemma Dryberg earlier and Alison Corpus in terms of what it means to play team golf with your compatriots with a common objective. Mm. And it's a nice reset button from what is otherwise the lone wolf existence mm. in professional golf where these people are your opponents every week. You're certainly not rooting for them mm. to any degree. But he was particularly impressive this week. At 19, it's, it's a team of young guys, but he's 19 years old. He's one of the youngest guys on that team, and he really stepped up. Only Gordon Sargent has a better record. Yeah. Gordon Sargent's the number one ranked amateur in the world. He's not far behind. He's, he's number not. eight. He is right there, and it's a great point you make, I think, about covering this game and Steve Stricker's tears in Wisconsin, uh, champagne coming out of the nose of Ian Woosnam, you know, at the K Club in he's 2006. He's a long way at the K Club. <laughs> yeah, he is. How about, you know, Ollie in tears mm -hmm. walking down the fairway after that comeback at Medina. I mean, some of the most indelible moments have come in, in Walker Cups, Ryder Cups, Solheim Cups, President's Cups. The, the team environment brings out a different emotion from these players who 50, 51 weeks out of the year, it's all about themselves. What a chance to exhale and be a, a teammate for, for just a week. And those are the highs. We've had recent conversations on this show with Hal Sutton and Lanny Watkins that would suggest mm. that the pain of losing as a captain also stays with you quite a ways as well.